All right. Well, good evening. And uh, I've got 20 minute sessions here, right? Uh, it's an inside joke. 19, that's it. Something like that. Oh, yes. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter, well, actually, I'm going to read a few verses, so you can just bear with me as I go down through these. I, uh, I'm going to be here starting in Exodus 34 6. Exodus 34 6. But <clears throat> I uh, was looking at. Uh, just some characteristics of the Lord and uh, what we often call attributes of God. Uh, and I've said before, there really should be better titled perfections of God because an attribute kind of implies that there's better qualities than others. So if you said somebody has a, these attributes, you would assume those are better than others. And with God, everything's perfect. Uh, he is absolutely perfect. And I was going to look at this uh, just more of a topical study on sort of a series of messages and they're you know mostly stuff that I, th I think you've hopefully heard before some of it but from a new fresher angle and looking at the God that we can trust because you know really we come to the Lord in prayer and we come to him with our burdens and we come to him sometimes in our confidences and all those things and God is the one that we can trust really Everybody else falls short of that, and he's perfect in everything in that way. And I just have a few verses. I'm going to look down through these tonight as we go down and make some comments. And the first, we'll just read them here. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Therefore, know that the Lord your God... He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isaiah 49, 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. And then just a couple more here. Isaiah, uh, excuse me, First uh, Thessalonians five twenty four says, "He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it." And then just in this section, lastly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Lord, we look to you again as we look at this study, and we just um, ask that you would use your word tonight to encourage us and uh, use it, Lord, to further our faith, that we might continue to steadfastly hold to that profession, and not wavering, and knowing, Lord, that you are the one who ultimately holds us, and we can rest in that tonight. And I pray tonight, Lord, that as we look at these verses, you'd open them to our hearts and minds, and Put them to our life as well, that we would be obedient in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look down some of those phrases, and the, the key here is obviously God's faithfulness and His truth. And he is true. And those words are interchangeable a lot of times in the Hebrew. If you see a phrase that talks about God being true, it is uh, other places translated that He's faithful. And of course, those two words connect. Uh, you cannot be faithful without being true, right? If you said someone has a true heart, well, you say they are, of, they are what they are, right? And certainly of God, he is the one who is true in all things. 
And he's the ever faithful God. Because of that, God is God and he still can be trusted today. Uh, Many have pushed him out of their lives as much as they can and wonder why everything comes crashing down and and they don't have anything that's, that's solid. And of course, the Lord is the one who's the is solid in those and i think of that because we need to rely on the lord in that way as if he really is true and faithful because he is isn't he um, i think of the marine corps slogan right what is it joe always faithful semper fidelis or semper fi as it's shortened i think the marines shorten it because they have a hard time saying the second word but it's uh, no just i had to get that in there but that's all right I know, <laughs> but Semper Fi, which is that word, it reminds us always faithful or always true, always loyal. It can be translated any one of those. It's it's it means that. And you think of, of course, the Marines adopted that, and they are. You know, the individual mean is Marine should be faithful and true, and he he does what he's told to do and goes out and does that. Uh, but more so, God is, isn't he? He's truly the one who's always faithful and always loyal, always true. When God makes a promise, he fulfills it. He never will stop doing that. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that because, honestly, I think there's times we, we move along like God is, you know, he's somehow lost. We've, we've lost his promise <laughs> that he's going to take care of us in this world. And... Um, I think of the little boy, he was out flying a kite, and as he was flying his kite, a kind of a low cloud came in, and, and his kite disappeared into the cloud. And someone came along and saw him just holding this string, and the string stretched up there, and this person said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm flying a kite. And he said, well, how do you know you're flying a kite? He says, well, because I can still feel it pulling the string, you know? And honestly, that's sometimes the way we have to be. I understand that, you know, as our faith... Um, the cloud sort of comes in between us and God. Know that that anchor is secure. He is faithful. He's true. And uh, I, I say that because there, there are people that battle those. And, and all of us do. We have our doubts at times that creep in. Or those things that kind of nip at our faith. Right? And we know the Lord is always faithful. He is that way. We live in a world of broken promises. If you follow the news and most of the news is like the tabloids. I don't know the difference sometimes. And, and you look at them, but they're always looking for uh, the latest scandal and the latest lie and the latest, you know, whatever that'll make somebody look bad. And ultimately, man provides a lot of good fodder for that, don't they? We, we do. We, you, you look closely enough at anybody, you will find that they fall short. And often uh, we have a world filled with broken promises, right? Uh, you have leaders that pledge to do this and they do that and you have uh, men women whatever that say i will be faithful in my marriage and they aren't and you have uh people saying i didn't do that and then you find out they did do it and there's that stuff that goes back and forth and all of that and it reminds us that again get to get our eyes off the off people and onto the lord and remember what he is like in those things in the book of numbers in chapter 23 verse 19 i like this statement it says, God is not a man that he should lie. Uh, now, you could say, well, Christ took on the form of human flesh. And, and when Christ came, he came as a man and God in the flesh, God as a man. And yet the eternal promise that is connected here is the same, that he could not lie, even in the flesh, because that's the character of God. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. 
Do you know that the Lord never has to change because he did something wrong? And every other worldview of, uh, of deities or spirits and everything, they almost exclusively have gods that fall short and have to change their mind, um, have to change their plan even, uh, and not the true God. He's not like that. When he says something, he does it. He has said what he what it says. He uh, has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and he and will he not make it good? That, that, that's a good question, right? Of course, the answer is yes. He he absolutely is the one that if he says it, he'll do it, and if he uh, promises it, he will make it good. We don't always do that, do we? He's the only true God. John 17, 3, and, and this is in Christ's high priestly prayer, remember? And he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. And the only true God, all right, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And by the way, as that's connected in the Greek, it's not differentiating between uh, Jesus Christ and God. It's a description of both, all right? There's a rule there in Greek grammar that uh, adds to that. And he's just saying this, as you see Jesus Christ, you're also knowing the one true God. And I like that. We need that. I think that's why in a world that is awash in scandal and broken promises, it's good to raise up Christ. And as we raise up Christ, people are drawn to him because of his steadfastness and his faithfulness, his truth, all of that. He's 100% true all the time. 1 John 5.20. Here John writes in his epistle, he says, and, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. Now, couple that with the previous verse. Remember John 17, the same apostle writing this, by the way. Well, he's writing the gospel account in John, John's gospel, but then he writes the epistle and a letter and, he, and he's talking here again, the true God, and he clearly believed that Jesus was the true God, because later on he writes that. And he says that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. I don't know how you can get away from that statement, and uh, both in the gospel and in John's writing, he makes it even clearer later on, that when you are in Jesus Christ, you are in the true God. That's great. He is the one who's faithful. He is the one who's true in all things. I think it's important because as we face trials and as we go through things, um, we have to understand that his, if his word is entirely true, then um, he's entirely reliable. And... It doesn't matter what I think about it, or even if I might lose faith, so to speak. Not lose my salvation, but lose that security in my own heart, saying, Lord, I'm not sure if this is real. I'm doubting. I'm worried. Uh, can you really save me? Or, you know, did you really save me? There's people that question that sometimes. And you have to go back and, in your mind, exercise those truths. And I have had to do that time and time again throughout my life and go back to those, and it doesn't take very long, just rehearsing those words that he gave us, and you say, yes, it's true. Thank you, Lord. 
doesn't matter if I'm my heart is is uh, uh, wor- you know overflowing with worry or doubts. It still is true. Someone said it's very much like uh, you know getting on on an airplane, and if you travel any and you've been on planes, there's. Uh, I can tell you this that that. Well, I've been with a lot of people. They travel and they don't even give any thought to the airplane. They just, you know, I'm going to get on, get there, and get off, get on my destination. Then there's others that are worried to death about flying, you know. And statistically, you're safer to fly uh, than you are to drive, all right? But, you know, we tend to worry about airplanes because it seems like it falls farther, you know. <laughs> and and we worry about those things and concerned, but there's some people that aren't, you know. And someone said, well, really, that's like a picture of our walk with the Lord. You know, we are in Christ, and the destination is secure. All those who are in Christ will get to the destination, no problem. But there's some that are they're worried, and they're sitting in the seat, and they're worrying a little bit. And there's others that they're sound asleep. There's others that are in somewhere in between. There's others that as they're going along, there's a little bump in the air, and, oh, you know, then they get worried. And... But regardless of all that, you're going to get to the destination because Christ is our pilot, right? He is the one that we are in, and more so than any airplane, right? Anything like that. Every word he says is true. Louis Barry Schaefer, a theologian, he wrote this. He said, he not only advances and confirms that which is true, but in faithfulness abides by his promises and executes every threat or warning he has made. So that's on the other side of things. When God says, you better flee to Christ for refuge, and you don't, you know what? That's, that's trouble. It's a warning, all right? You're going to die in your sins. Judgment is coming. That's a warning. And we know that uh, because every single one of his promises, including the threat of judgment, was fulfilled already in the promises that, you know, in that timing. There's yet future judgment that hasn't. But we can rely that in past times he has done that. And I, I think of that everywhere from in the Old Testament where you have the picture of the flood coming. And over and over again, the Lord warned them. And then you have that man, Methuselah. And I remember having this discussion with one of my kids not long ago uh, about Methuselah. And it was Lydia. She, she was talking about Methuselah, trying to say his name. And she says, isn't that a funny name? You know? And I said, yeah, but it's an interesting name. Because his name means after death it will come. And that's even stranger if you named your kid something like that, right? But that's what Methuselah means. And he lived for 969 years. And you can go right there in the book of Genesis and figure out when he was born and when he died and all that. And he dies in the year that the flood comes. So for 969 years, God was faithful in proclaiming the fact that judgment is coming not only through Methuselah, but through others like Enoch and Noah. And, uh, you know, they, they were proclaiming the judgment to come. And it came. And man didn't repent except for one man and his family. Uh, and I, I just say, does that make God uh, unfaithful? No, it makes him perfectly faithful and true in every way. Because of the fact that the Lord is true, and by the word, by the way, the word uh, in the Hebrew for truth is the word we we translate. It's actually almost a universal word. It is a universal word in all languages because they borrow it right out of Hebrew. Guess what word it is? We say it at the end of our prayers. Amen. 
And that amen, it means true. Okay, so when you say amen, you're stamping God's truth on it. All right. And uh, that's, it's a word that's unique. And in every language out there, they use amen, because there's no other word that's equivalent to it, really. And so we just borrow it right in, whether it's in French or Russian or Chinese or English. It's, we, we just bring it right in from the Hebrew. And it's a word that is always associated with the Lord, and it's a word associated with his truth. And that implies every promise will be kept. Every single promise. There's lots of promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in Him are yes. I, I like that. When I first read that, I thought, that's a strange way of saying things. What does that mean? That everything is a yes? And it's, it's this, that everything um, that God says gets stamped with the yes of Jesus okay it's shown to us clearly in him and in him amen he says to the glory of God through us so the here he's he's talking about the Corinthian believers but their very lives are a stamp of God's approval of his promises and yet I say you know if you look at the Corinthians they weren't a perfect people were they they were uh certainly involved in things they shouldn't have been involved in some of them and there were lots of bad things happening now this is in the second letter paul follows up within a short time after his uh, uh first letter with a second letter to them as in furthering things and we can just say uh, you know that again god is faithful in his promises even if god or if people weren't right God the Holy Spirit writes the promise in the Word and then applies the Word to our hearts. And uh, that's another way that we, we can say God is faithful and true. Um, there are times we get disappointed in people. And if you look close enough, people will disappoint you, that's for sure. Sometimes you don't have to look very close. But I will say this, that we will persevere if you're really one of His. And what we are now, even in failure, in sin, in other shortcomings of, of whatever, is not what it's going to be in the end. Someday, standing in glory, in the presence of the Lord himself, it'll be entirely different. And those former things will be remembered no more. And we'll only be looking at the righteousness of Christ as it's applied to us. We're going to get there. But in the process, it'll be, it may be a warfare, right? Ultimately through death or rapture. Um, the book of Joshua, I like this section. Joshua chapter 21, you have the fulfillment of God's promise to the nation. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. By the way, there's a time element involved in that. We'll come back to that, but... The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now, what I like about this, I, I'm going to borrow this. Now, this is not always good hermeneutics. This is to the nation of Israel. It is dealing with an earthly land, right? The land of Israel. But the God who gave that land and delivered them is the same God of all, right? He is our God. 
And by application, we can say spiritually, he's done the same thing with us. He has given us everything he promised. He's delivered it and no enemy will ever withstand us. Nothing within or without. Satan himself. He'll come to discourage and to steal and try to destroy, but he ultimately cannot take us. All right? If you're a Christian, a believer. And someday, even death itself will be swallowed up in victory and we will be able to say that same thing. Not one thing you said, Lord, failed to come to pass. Not one thing. Now, I say that because if you think about the statement, initial statement there, where he says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. How approximately how long was it from the time Abraham was promised uh, the land, right? God told him, called him out of the Chaldees, told him, I'll show you a land, to when his descendants actually possessed it, you know, as a land. Was it a two or three years or no? Yeah, hundreds of years, 400 years about, just so you know, from the time where that goes. And then when Joshua, I think it's what Al's talking about, when Joshua enters the land, how many years approximately, you know, it, it was actually, yeah, I think, seven years. That from the time that Joshua comes in the land and they begin to go to battle, and you don't kind of always get that because, you know, Joshua is not a very long book, and you read through it and you think, oh, this took place in a matter of weeks. It didn't. It was about seven years for the time that they set out across the Jordan and they finally possessed the land, and then this promise is fulfilled. So apply that, you know. When God promises something, it isn't always overnight that he gives it. Sometimes it's years. And in the process of that, there were a lot of battles. And there were failures in the process of that. There there were people that sinned. There there were some that were standing there that, uh, well, they weren't standing there, I should say, because they had been killed through sin and through defeat. Uh, I think of Joshua 7 and the sin of Achan, right? And Achan's household. Uh, Those kind of things. Now, I, I say that because sometimes there are casualties in battle. And as we look at Christians in our own, maybe our own church or in our churches, and you, you hear things and you say, oh, you know, that's, that's so sad. That person's fallen by the wayside. Now, listen, so long as there's a heart beating in your chest, there's a chance for repentance and restoration for believers. Absolutely. And I'm a firm believer in that. But even if someone uh, miserably messes up their faith, you know, then their testimony and all that, God is still true. He's still faithful. And by the way, there was, like I said, not uh, when, when you come to Joshua 21 there, there was loss of life. There was measures of loss that had taken place and there were many years in between. Sometimes, though, we just kind of think, oh, that's for them. That's not for me. Uh, Gladys Alward, who served as a missionary in uh, China uh, before World War II. As World War II broke out, the Japanese invaded northern China, and she fled with a hundred orphans in her care. You imagine a woman who has to flee with a hundred orphans and has no food for them, you know? And as they were fleeing, she had a sleepless night, and There was a little 13-year-old girl that reminded her of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. And Gladys Allward said this, I'm not Moses. The little girl said, but God's still God. 
Sometimes that's the way we, we come to it. Well, I'm not Moses. I'm not Joshua. I'm not Abraham. I, I'm not John or Peter. or No, but God is still God. And don't live like He's not. And then lastly, every trial has a purpose, doesn't it? We've talked about this numerous times. And we recently went through Romans 8 and 9. And, but you see the, the trials that go on. Uh, Job 23.10 But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You know what Job was doing? He was relying on the promises of God. And he had, I think, when Job you know, comes to this, he's thinking that it's only going to be through death. Because he says, though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. Right? He, he knows that he's still going to serve the Lord. He's still going to hold to that confession of faith uh, yet he was going through an awful time and he said because he knows that he shall come forth as gold that's what God promised Romans chapter 5 and not only that but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope see the, the production line that's going on there uh, all of those are necessary for producing that. And ultimately, it's hope. Because if we had no trials, if we had no tribulation here, we would look forward to nothing else. And I think in many ways, our modern world, as we've become very comfortable, and I'm not against comforts, I'm not against sleeping in a nice bed and you know things like that. I just say... Sometimes when we have a rough night or something, and we think, oh, life's so bad. And no, you know, we're just hoping that tomorrow night we might sleep better. In the reality, you know, when things are stripped away and, and, and you might be facing impending trial or death even, you say there's got to be something beyond that. Hope, right? Lord, you promised to deliver me out of this world. I'm hoping for that. And I think that's why you look back in our hymn book and you see some of the hymns that were poured out in times when people were greatly distressed. And the, the words seemed to just flow together because it was a heart being pressed. <clears throat> James 1, verses 2-4, to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And uh, that's a hard thing, but it's a necessary thing. And then 1 Peter 4.19, last verse I'll share tonight, says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Um, I love that because... Ultimately, that's what we do. And every time we come to the Lord in prayer, we acknowledge that, or we should be anyways, and saying, Lord, you're my creator. When we say Lord, that means that. He's the master, he's the owner, he's the creator of all things. And we're committing our souls to him again. Now, he holds on to us, but you know what? Uh, I need to freshly, you know, in a fresh way, do that every day. Just come to him and say, Lord, I commit my, my life to you, my care, my worries, my concerns, those around me, whether it be in those in our church or my family or whatever, I'm going to commit that to you, Lord. You do a far better job of being faithful with those things than I will. And he is faithful, isn't he? Faithful creator. Father, we are thankful for the word of God. 
And as we've looked at this tonight, they're really we're just reminded right from your word of who you are and what you're like. And thank you that we can know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we've trusted him and are in him, then we are in the one true God, the faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.